heard a slight hush come upon the crowd. Doors are shut. There's the first two clues. Still got another minute. Who walked outside this morning and thought it was beautiful, lovely? I thought about moving Sunday school outside. Who'd come with? Who'd come with me? All right then, I'll stay in here. It's beautiful. Somebody said it was supposed to snow tomorrow. I haven't watched any weather. It's that time of year, though. I love it. Been praying for snow for, I don't know, a couple months now. So, huh? No, no. No, sir. Sorry. We're just going to have to brotherly disagree on that topic. We'll, We'll see who prays the most. (laughs) <laughs> make it a spiritual thing oh. you know what that almost bothered me if you didn't hear me said office workers don't get to pray about the weather I heard an amen Truth be told, I used to do that even when I wasn't an office worker, but now that I am, I do it even more. (laughs) Oh, no, this is a beautiful time of year. The leaves are falling. It's just beautiful. Everybody doing well this morning? Good crowd. A couple weeks for Thanksgiving. Coming right around the corner. means Christmas is right around the corner. I just love this time of year. Love it. All right. Our grace period's up, so we're going to be in 1 John, continuing our series there. Last time I was uh, in here, we taught on the world and kind of the personal influence that the world has on us. Last week in Sunday school, we kind of did a part two on that, talking about the world and the influence the world has on our churches. And the responsibility that I think Scripture gives each one of us in here, not just the leaders of our church, but the responsibility that each one of us had at keeping the world out of our churches, which is a chore nowadays, frankly. Um, The world just seems to be creeping in everywhere. I mean, it's not a stretch to do any amount of searching or reading and And it's just uh, really causing a lot of problems. So we had a great lesson there. And this morning we're going to teach on Antichrist and Antichrists as as John continues his epistle. But let's go to uh, Lord in prayer and then we'll start our lesson this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we are just so grateful. We count it such an honor to come to your house this morning. It's just a lifting of each one of our spirits to come together as a church family, to see the smiles on everybody's faces, to be able just to spend time with other like-minded believers, other Christians. We get to laugh with each other. We get to 
pray for each other. We get to lift each other up. We get to be a, uh, an encourager as well as be encouraged. And after spending the week in the world and at work, it's just such a refreshing day. And we get to spend this special time with you, Lord. We ask that uh, your presence be with us this morning, even during our Sunday school hour and to worship service time to come. That we can spend this special time with you, this, these few hours that we get to set aside, that we've declared as, as important and, and, and specific that uh, we want to spend learning about you, the love that you have for us, and worshiping you. Lord, as we open up your word, even this morning, I just ask that uh, you speak to each one of us individually. There'll be something here that uh, we can take from this time, something profitable that as we open up your word that we can have and, and take with us, that grow us closer to you. And even now, as we, as uh, Brother Lynn is preparing for Worship time to come as he opens up your word and preaches to us later. Be with him now as he even uh, makes final preparations for his studies. And even start even now preparing us for that time. That again, you can speak to each one of us individually. That we can have a special time, a, a uniquely special time with you. Dear Lord, again, be with us during this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we'll be in 1 John chapter 2. You hear the word antichrist and you immediately kind of go toward, you know, a little more prophecy-leaning teaching session. And, and that's kind of true and, and not true on, on some accounts too. But man, a lot of uh, Christians love when you start talking about prophecy and and in times, we've had some wonderful classes, even in FBI, on classes on prophecy and, and, and different teachings that we've done. This is going to be not quite that heavily leaning toward prophecy, but we are going to specifically talk about the Antichrist and what that means. John mentions it for the first time to us here. We're just going to read a few sections of Scripture in chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. John says, little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard, the Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us. But they were not of us, but if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. 
Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. And I got to admit, as I was kind of putting my lesson together, I kind of thought, well, we'll cover these verses right here and, and, and see what John would have for us. And as I started making my notes, I realized quickly we don't have time to cover all of this. So I'm going to kind of concentrate this morning just on that first verse. Excuse me, first verse, John 8 on 2.18. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby ye know that it is the last time. And we hear that term Antichrist, and John is actually the only one in Scripture to use that term. He uses it in his letter here in 1 John, and he obviously uses it in his revelation later in the New Testament. But he's the only one that uses that specific term, Antichrist. Well, it kind of got me curious. You know, we hear Antichrist, and, you know, we a lot of talk over the years. Who's the Antichrist, right? I actually was curious. I said, who over history has been accused of being the Antichrist? And I sought a deep theological source on this. I asked Google. <laughs> who in history has been accused of being the Antichrist? It's kind of interesting. Nero Caesar, go back to the times of the early church. Interestingly enough, his name in Greek, when transliterated into Hebrew, retains the value of 666. So get into a little numerology there. Nero was accused of being the Antichrist. Not an Antichrist, we'll talk about that here a little bit later, but no, the end time Antichrist. Napoleon was accused of it. Obviously, Hitler, uh, it was. I don't think we have to give too many reasons for why he was accused of being an Antichrist or the Antichrist. Then we get into a little more um, timely examples. Henry Kissinger was one that was accused. There a lot of articles on him being the Antichrist. I thought that was kind of interesting. Mikhail Gorbachev, who died recently, was accused as being the Antichrist. Different popes over the years. A lot of people even today would suggest that the, the Antichrist may come out of, of or be a pope at some point. Various U.S. presidents, this was kind of interesting over the years, were accused of being the Antichrist. Back to FDR, JFK, I guess when he was shot, one of the prophecies of the Antichrist is that he would take a wound to the head. Well, when I guess JFK was assassinated, a lot of folks felt like he would show up in Washington even after that and be the Antichrist. Nixon, Reagan was accused of being the Antichrist. Clinton, Obama, Trump. It's interesting, you know, and, and there were many, many others. Not just recent names that, that I kind of chose out that you would kind of know of, but even early in the church there were many, many names even brought up that were accused of being the Antichrist. I could have had a two-page list, but many of the names you wouldn't recognize and I would have a hard time pronouncing. 
But this has always been kind of a sense that Christians are looking for this end time individual. Who's this individual going to be? I mean, it's just, you hear it almost on a regular uh, occasion. So-and-so kind of matches the Antichrist. He's the Antichrist. Well, John kind of goes in, and he's been giving us these little tests of faith as he has written this epistle to these churches. He's given us the test of faith for obedience. He's given us a test of faith for truth and love. And now he gives us another test of faith. And the test of faith is kind of endurance and perseverance in our faith. If there is, and John is kind of giving us, and he first starts out with this phrase. Look at verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. Wow, that's, that, that's, there's so much just right there. It is the last time. Now, obviously, John wrote this epistle late in his life, probably in, within the first century. And even then, they felt like, you know what? Christ's return is imminent. The Antichrist is imminent. And they're always looking for, for him the same way we do now, 2,000 years later. It is the last time. Warren Wearsby kind of put it this way as an explanation of this last time, and I'll read this to you. All of Old Testament history prepared the way for the work of Christ on the cross. All history since that time is merely preparation for the end when Jesus will come and establish his kingdom. This, the last time, began back in John's day and has been growing in intensity ever since. There were ungodly false teachers in John's day, of which John partially wrote this letter combating these ungodly false teachers. If you remember some lessons back, we kind of talked about that. He needed to start kind of handling these false teachers, remember, that were trying to change Christianity, not from outside, but from within the church. These false teachers within the church. There were ungodly false teachers in John's day and during the intervening centuries. They have increased both in number and in influence. I don't think anybody here would disagree with that statement. I mean, again, turn on um, any podcast, radio show, uh, get on YouTube and, and start searching out different lessons. It's tough to find good Bible preaching and different references out there to find stuff because there's so much ungodly teaching out there. This the last time describes a, a kind of time, not a duration of time. In other words, Christians have always been living in this last time. Mark 25, 13, Jesus told us this, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Nobody knows, right? All we can do is anticip live anticipating that time. 
At John's day, they were anticipating that time even during that day, 2,000 years ago. And we sit here today still anticipating that time I mentioned earlier. It's the holiday. We're going into holiday seasons. And when I hear and think of anticipating a time, anticipating the last time, the last days, do you live anticipating that time? I mean, really anticipating, looking forward to. When I look, think in my head about anticipation or looking forward to, I think back to Christmases when I was young, you know? Think about it when you were a kid. How many of us stayed up all night waiting for Christmas morning? You couldn't sleep, you anticipated it so great. But guess what? It was still there, you know, when you woke up Christmas morning. It wasn't an anticipation of, is it going to happen or is it not going to happen? You knew you were going to get some presents and you were going to get time with family that morning. And you anticipated it. You lived, I mean, it's just, but do we live that way for, the, for that last time? Do you live with that same sort of anticipation? Not wondering, is it going to happen? But living in anticipation of knowing it's going to happen. There's going to come a time that Christ is going to take the church away during that rapture. Now, we believe in a pre-trib rapture. We believe that Christ is going to take away His church prior to the tribulation. This is a can be a, a, a topic of consent of uh, argument amongst different Christian groups. Some believe in a mid-trib. Some even believe in a post-trib. We believe in a pre-trib rapture. That God's going to take the church away, and then after that, there's going to be this seven years of tribulation. Broke up in two, three and a half year segments. And during that time, there's going to be somebody rised up that's going to be the Antichrist. Now, if the rapture were to take place tomorrow and the tribulation time is only seven years and this Antichrist is an adult ruler of some type that takes over the world, that Antichrist very well could be living today. We don't know, right? Because we don't know when the rapture is going to come. We don't know when that end day is going to come. So if it's as imminent as we think, very well may be living today. If Jesus decides to tarry and it's a ways away, it's for another generation, then maybe he's not living. We're not to speculate on that time of day and that time when that occurs. But we're to live as if it is tomorrow, right? Do we live each day as if it is that last time? John was telling even the people during these, at these churches, it is the last time. Now this kind of got me thinking too, and I won't uh, dwell on this too deep, but those of us that have worked in emergency services or medical field, I think you can relate to this thought of last time. Over... 20 years and just different uh, instances I experienced and know of, even others experiencing. I know of a gentleman that was riding his bike along the road and 
was run down from behind. He had no idea that was going to be his last time. Matter of fact, it was about this time of year. It was about this very time of the year when this occurred. In his backpack that he had on was a Christmas list of gifts that he was buying for his family. He was not planning on that being his last time. It ended up being the last time for him. I know of another circumstance, in this case a younger girl, and I've looked in her backpack, and it had homework in it that she was going to turn in the next day. Well, she never got that chance to turn that homework in. It wasn't a choice of her doing, but it ended up being her last time. And it got me thinking about this last time. How many of us truly live like it? the last chance. Today's the last chance we have. If you're here today and you're not saved, this may be your last chance to actually take that step. You don't know. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And those of us that have worked in those fields, and I think others, even if you haven't, you probably have experienced those types of tragedies where the last time comes in just so many unforeseen circumstances. How about uh, those of us here that are saved? May have a neighbor that we've been intending to share the gospel with. But each time I run into that neighbor, I got my arms full. I'm carrying in the groceries. Or I'm just, he's in his front yard. I'm just coming home from work. I'm tired. I'm ready to get inside and change or, you know, just get comfortable. You know, I'll catch him tomorrow. Who's to say I'm going to have another day? Who's to say he's going to have another day to have that last moment to share with? And if we constantly are putting that time off, are we truly living as if it's the last time? I think it's something to really kind of ponder on. Are we living, because I think it's very easy for us to say, are we living in the last time? Well, sure, I'm looking forward to the rapture as a Christian. Okay, well, let's get deeper on that. As a Christian, are you living as if it's the last time you're going to share the gospel with somebody that you care about? And you think you're going to have another day to do so. Or that they're going to have another day to listen. It's something to definitely pray about and get serious about. John reminds us that this last days, again, John wrote in the first century. And 2,000 years later, we can be assured of this one truth. Well, hadn't happened yet. It's getting closer. There is a day. There is a day when that rapture will occur. And then, you know, it's, it's too late. It's too late. Live like it truly is that last day. John is so important to John that he says it twice in verse 18. Notice that. Little children, it is the last time. And then the last part of the verse. Whereby we know that it is the last time. Hmm. Then he tells us right after that. 
as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. A singular. The Antichrist shall come. Well, I just told you earlier that the only place the word Antichrist happens in Scripture is John's writing. Well, where have they heard it from then? Well, while Antichrist may be this, the, the only point that that only point in John's writing that that word has came up, the thought has. Go to Daniel, several parts of Daniel, the, the, the thought of, a, of an Antichrist coming is pictured in Daniel's writings in several places. There's also, and also think of this fact, that John here is writing toward the end of his life, the end of that first century, about 40 years prior to this, Paul wrote about the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians. And it's very likely that the church John is writing to would have been aware of that. Flip over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, please. <clears throat> Excuse me. Should have bookmarked that. Second Thessalonians chapter two. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse one. We'll read a couple verses here. Paul says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. That man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Right there he's referring to the Antichrist, the Antichrist being revealed, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This Antichrist will be in such a position of political influence and power that he will claim to be the Messiah. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know that withholdeth that he might be revealed in this time, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, 
and with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they might all that they all might be damned who believe not the truth and he had pleasure in unrighteousness. You can see there very clearly, it's not a stretch to see Paul talking about this Antichrist coming. He doesn't use the name, does he? John kind of fills in that blank for us, but you see the sense and the power and even prophetically what the Antichrist will do one day. He will be deceitful. Deceitfulness in some form is the most common of, of sins, isn't it? The Antichrist that we are familiar with through John's writing of Revelation will be the central figure during this tribulation. Now, as we kind of said earlier, there's a lot of writing and speculation on who that person is. But as I also said earlier, we do believe in a pre-trib rapture. Thus, all of the prophecy that begins the time of tribulation, I don't plan on being here for, <laughs> thankfully, right? So all the prophecy post-rapture of the Antichrist rising, of people being forced to take the mark of the beast, Jesus has already taken his church away at that point. I hear a lot of folks constantly talking about, is this the mark of COVID? Was that the mark of the beast, the COVID shots? Was it? No, because the church is still here. It's too early for that. It's not yet come. Are we getting close to that point? Yeah, we talked about that. That last time is coming. But if Christ's church is still here, it's not that time. So there's, I hear a lot of talk and speculation on that that's really, unfortunately, kind of wasted breath to the Christian. Keep your emphasis on the last time. Keep your emphasis on those last days, the last chance to share the gospel, the last chance to keep Christ's command to us to share that gospel throughout the world. That's our emphasis. All the prophecy post-rapture that begins the tribulation, it's scripture, it's good teaching. We should know about it. But I don't spend a lot of time speculating on those things because I plan to view those events from a different angle, right? <laughs> Not being present during it. It's interesting discussion, certainly, but <clears throat> if you truly believe in that pre-trib rapture, it's, there's just no point to those discussions. This Antichrist that is to come, um, John very clearly gives us that, that, that thought, those lessons. That scripture in whole gives us those thoughts. There will be that person to rise up. 
But then John, excuse me, John takes it a step further. And in his little, uh, in his third phrase here, he says, "Even now, there are many antichrists." Plural. And I think you know, day to day, we think of the antichrist, and we kind of stop there. And as I was reading this, and it really kind of stuck with me, I kind of read that over and over. He's saying, even now, there are many antichrists. So what is an antichrist? Look at that. What that word means is a, is a compound of two words, obviously. Anti, meaning in place of or against. Christos, meaning Messiah or Christ. So it's the Greek term antichristos. Antichrists. So if you're against Christ, you're an antichrist. So we can get pretty broad at that point. I, uh, I won't get real specific with the names here, but Ken sent me an interesting text yesterday or the day before. I can't remember. It's been a long weekend with a couple of books he was teasing me about buying for me from a couple of authors that I would never read. He was poking me. <laughs> I think he texted Brother Mark and I. And I told Ken, I said, you know, that, that, that text was more appropriate than you thought. I'm actually teaching on antichrists this week. <laughs> because the writers of those books don't teach the same Christ that's in this Bible that I know. Thus, they fit the definition of antichrists. In the first century, when John wrote to us, there were many antichrists. Excuse me. Remember, John wrote this book combating false teaching, combating people teaching false doctrine and teaching that Christ wasn't deity. He wasn't God. If you're teaching that Jesus isn't God, then you're an antichrist. That's the definition. This was in the first century. 2,000 years later, do we have those same folks out there teaching similar doctrines? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Do we have some folks under the Christian name teaching similar doctrines? That, yeah, we do. It's sad. It really is. But we have people under the Christian name teaching false doctrine. That makes them, under the definition, antichrists. Not the antichrist. There's a difference. But it does make them antichrists. While all antichrists are opposed to Christ and his teaching, some antichrists go so far as to claim to actually be the Messiah. I actually looked that up too. I asked Google that question. How many people are out there actually claiming to be the Messiah today? Wow. There are a lot of folks out there, even today, that claim to be the reincarnated 
or the Christ. There's a couple down in Australia. He claims to be Jesus and his wife is Mary Magdalene. And they have their a little cult down there in Australia. I hadn't heard of them before, but they got a pretty good following down there. Um, go back, what was it? 30 years ago now, maybe? Koresh in Waco he claimed to be the Messiah. Now, I think uh, I was kind of, I've said many times that I believe our church is, one of the strengths of our church is our uh, being able to preach word for word scripture and not shying away from from scripture or um, watering it down in any way, shape, or form. Teaching exactly what scripture says, preaching exactly what the Bible says. But we might think, well, I, I think I'm doctrinally sound enough. I don't think I'd be deceived. Be careful. <laughs> be careful. Paul told us in 2 Corinthians, he said this, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Paul kind of gives us a warning there. Be careful. I fear that you might very well be deceived by these things. And I think it's a good lesson for each one of us to kind of constantly be on our guard, if you will, for this. Be on your guard for, for these, these false teachings. I love reading books. I love listening uh, to different sources. I love studying and I love getting on the internet and looking for different things, but... And you got to be careful. Got to be careful. I may mention a, a, an author of some type that I use for references um, from time to time. It doesn't mean I believe everything that author writes, certainly. Because, as a matter of fact, depending on the reference, I could tell you, well, this author believes this and we don't, or I don't. But on this point, they're pretty strong. You've got to be on guard for those things. Don't paint with any broad brush. Man, I love listening to so-and-so because they're 100% right on everything. I don't think any of us... I think we're all going to be surprised when we get to heaven what we were right on and maybe what we were wrong on, right? Satan's mission statement is to deceive us. It's to draw us away from the real Christ. He did it to Eve. The subtlety of deception that started in Genesis and it continues to this day. I would say after 4,000 some years, he's gotten pretty good at it, right? Satan uses various humans to spread his lies. 
and they come in any form. Second Corinthians continued, Paul says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Satan isn't that picture that you see with the little pointy tail and the red horns. Oh, he's a beautiful angel of light. And loves music. If you were to see Satan come through, you wouldn't immediately think, ugh. That wouldn't be your first response. He's deceitful, even, as, even in his appearance. Because he, I mean, he was an angel. He's an angel. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also were transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their works. Paul warns us there. Antichrists, people teaching false Christ, people teaching false doctrine, don't come looking like false teachers. They come looking like people of righteousness. And that's why it's harder to, to pick them out. Over the years, uh, we used to do uh, active shooter training at different places, and everybody always says, well, well I could point out. Who, it's always the guy you don't expect. It's, you know, he looks like, number one, he's always around, and he looks like you and me um, with different, uh, different predators that prey on victims. They don't look like predators all the time. They look like average people. That's why they get away with their deceptions. There are even more today who are false teachers spreading lies and non-truths about Jesus and Christianity thus fulfilling this definition of antichrist. <coughs> Excuse me. So John tells us, as ye have heard that antichrist shall come, and he's given us this, this warning that there will be an antichrist in the last days. And he's even warning uh, his followers here, even now there are many antichrists, so don't get so caught up in that antichrist of the end times. Worry about, because you're going to rapture before that time, worry about the antichrists that are teaching you today. Worry about, those are the ones we need to be careful of. Now, and I think the main emphasis for us today is John's main emphasis, even in verse 18. It is the last time. We are in those last days. I don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know. No one knows. But we're closer now than we were when I started teaching. I mean, that's the truth of it. So, you know, let's look introspectively and examine our lives, are we truly living like it's the last times? Now, next time I teach, we're going to kind of look at the false teachers that John warns us about moving forward in this chapter and how to kind of defend ourselves against, against that. So, 
Let's pray, and then we'll go on to worship services here in a bit. Dear Heavenly Father, again, thank you for just the pleasure of getting to open up your word and see the truths that you have for us, Lord. We know that it is we are living in these last times, these last days. Even as John in the first century, he was living in those last days. And until you come back, or until you rapture your church, we are to live like that may happen at any moment. You tell us to be prepared. And for Christians today, we need to live like that. We need to be sharing your gospel every chance we get to whoever we get the opportunity to, as if it may be our last opportunity to do so. It may be their last opportunity to hear. And we're to take that responsibility serious. If there be someone here today who's not saved, they're to take this warning as well. We are living in those last days. And if they haven't taken you as their Savior, they're to do it today. Because as they leave here, we're not guaranteed any other time, any moment, another day, another hour. So take that responsibility and that, that urgency behind that. You, through various writers of your scripture, warn us of that very thing. There's going to come a time where that time runs out. Let us all take that uh, responsibility um, seriously. And as we get ready for worship services, again, prepare us for that time. We, again, uh, pray for your uh, presence to be with us and to speak to each one of us through your, the preaching of your word. We pray in Jesus' name.